is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America. With your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden, New York City, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And uh, we're back. We're back in the swing of things. Uh, forgive me for the brief hiatus while we were getting things situated on the nighttime radio show, which is America at Night. Rich Valdez, America at Night. You can catch it every weeknight, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. We're live coast to coast on hundreds of stations across the country. If you want to check it out live, you want to go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com. That's richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Check out the radio show. Um, we're on for three hours every night. I'd really appreciate it. Plus, you can subscribe to that podcast as well, which is all interviews. And as a matter of fact, today we're going to bring you a couple of excerpts from those interviews, which I try not to do too much of so that these uh, podcast feeds are somewhat distinct. But I think there's so many big topics going on, like uh, the the trafficking that we're seeing at the border, the the inhumanity that we're seeing uh, with our immigration system, and of course uh, the debt ceiling and all the lies that are uh, circling around that. So I want to um, direct your attention to some of those issues because children are being exploited. Right. The other day we had a report that. Uh, some 300 children were, were caught, some of which were as young as 10 years old working for McDonald's. And it made me think, my gosh, if you've got kids that are 10 years old, I remember having 10-year-old kids. Uh, my, my youngest daughter is 17, so it wasn't that long ago. And I could not imagine uh, her working in a McDonald's at 10 years old. It just blows me away. These kids, I'm going to guess and go out on a limb here, that these kids are working in a system that is allowing for child labor. And isn't it interesting that that we have this system that allows for child labor, and at the same time, we have a, a massively, I'm going to say, a insecure border where people can come, children, you keep hearing things like unaccompanied minors, and the whole thing to me, it seems really out of whack, really out of sync, because why on earth would 10-year-old kids be working at McDonald's unless we were intentionally trying to allow that to happen. So uh, again, this is a very, very big deal. And uh, it's such a big deal that we've been talking about it for quite a while. However, even the New York times is talking about it. Uh, I'm going to direct your attention to an article from Friday, the 12th of May. Look at this headline alone and exploited. Migrant children work brutal jobs across the U.S., arriving in record numbers. They're ending up in dangerous jobs that violate child labor laws, including in factories that make products for well-known brands like Cheetos and Fruit of the Loom. Hannah Dreyer traveled to Alabama, to Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Minnesota, South Dakota, and Virginia for this story to speak with more than 100 illegal immigrant child workers in 20 states. And then there's a photo here. It says, Christian, he works a construction job instead of going to school. He's 14 years old. Makes me think, uh, I think we're kind of lucky that Ron DeSantis put in this um, this uh, set of bills or this, this one package of laws that he uh, signed into law uh, earlier in the week that 
prevent the trafficking of illegal aliens and saying he's coming after the contractors, he's coming after anybody that allows this to happen, even if you give him shelter. And people thought, oh, that's draconian and that's this and that's that. Uh, but you know what? It's already taken a very quick and immediate effect. I was at my uh, favorite Cuban coffee place. It's actually a Cuban cafeteria, right? Small, like, um, counter where you can buy food to go. But they have coffee as well. And I was talking to um, the owner of the place, and he tells me that his people, his family in in Miami area, are telling him that almost every construction project in their area has been stopped. It's been halted because they're all afraid of getting caught by DeSantis. And, uh, and I'm thinking... You know, that's not going to last very long because there's always going to be cheap labor one way or another. I think what what we're trying to prevent here is for people that are coming across the border, in particular, these unaccompanied children, UACs, that we don't know who their parents are, that are being trafficked for sex, for drugs, for all sorts of things, including working at McDonald's, working in construction, working in other things, uh, that that doesn't continue to happen. Right. If there's an appetite for it, then there will be a market for it. And we have to make sure that that doesn't happen. So uh, fascinating article. I'll give you a couple of lines from it here uh, where uh, and this is, again, New York Times, Friday, the, the 12th. It was almost midnight in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but inside the factory, everything was bright. A conveyor belt carried bags of Cheerios past a cluster of young workers. One was 15 years old, Carolina Yoke, who came to the United States on her own last year to live with a relative she'd never met. About every 10 seconds, she stuffed a sealed plastic bag of cereal into a passing yellow carton. It could be dangerous work with fast-moving pulleys and gears that had torn off fingers and ripped off one woman's scalp. The factory was filled with underage workers, like Carolina, she, uh, who had crossed the southern border by herself and was now spending late hours bent over hazardous machinery in violation of child labor laws. Now, again, at 15, guess what? I worked at 15, too, in the kitchen of Dunkin' Donuts. I'm not so against 15 because, you know, legally, at least in Jersey, um, I know my kids started working at 16, both of them, uh, and I encouraged that. I wanted them to understand what it was like to wash dishes and mop floors and clean toilets and do all the things you have to do in a job that build character. Uh, but I'm talking about 10, 11, uh, th- these, you know, younger than, than 16 and 15 falls into that category. But again, I'm not going to split hairs, but the kid that's 14, you shouldn't not go to school, right? That shouldn't happen. You should not be, um, working in construction all day and saying, well, I can't go to school. That doesn't do anything for the benefit of this, uh, country or for the benefit of, of our economy. And again, this, I think, is one of the fundamental debates that we have to choose. We have to choose where in this debate are we? Do we allow illegal immigration for the benefit of the United States, for the benefit of our economy, for the benefit of our country? And we allow it to help us, not to help the immigrant. And I think it's so important because the debate I got into today was somebody was saying, look, people have a right to apply for asylum. I said, you have a right to apply for asylum if you'd like to apply for asylum, but we don't have a right to honor your request. There's no right. There's no obligation for this country to do that. Now, I'm not anti-immigration. I'm not anti-Hispanic. I'm not anti-anything. The only thing I'm anti is illegal immigration, and I'm against breaking these laws because I don't think they benefit the country, and they put us in a position where we're going to be weaker, and that's very important. So uh, later on, you're going to hear a little bit of my conversation from my nighttime radio show with – 
Chad Wolf, he's the former Secretary of Homeland Security, immediately preceding Alejandro Mayorkas, the current uh, DHS secretary. And uh, Chad Wolf makes that point, and he makes it uh, incredibly well, that immigration must be for the benefit of the Americans. We're also going to talk with uh, Christy Hutchinson. She's been through all 2,000 miles of the border and uh, on several hundred missions trips to rescue people. She's got footage of people being um, handcuffed to what they call a rape tree and raped to be forced into compliance because there's so much uh, vile violence and illegality that, that's plaguing the southern border in this massive underground railroad, modern-day slave trade being perpetuated by our commander-in-chief, Joe El Baboso Biden, and it's being funded by you and me, the taxpayer. So, again, it's time for us to make that choice. We have to do that. Plus, we're going to talk about the debt ceiling, and uh, E.J. Anthony's going to break that down a little bit and kind of refute a lot of what's going on in the media because it's important to note that the United States definitely brings in enough revenue to cover its current costs, right? Uh, the, the issue that exists here is that, unfortunately, we, um, we get suckered into believing that, that we're lost, right? That we're, if we don't uh, succumb to what they're saying on the left, that we're done and that we're going to default on our debt. But that's just simply not true. The federal government collects something like $5.1 trillion in revenue through taxes. And they did that just as recent as 2022. But the interest on that debt is about $775 billion, or roughly 15% of those revenues. So the Treasury has enough money to service the debt and trillions more in, in other expenses. So you're talking about four and a quarter uh, trillion dollars in revenue that's left over after the debt service. So to say that we're going to default on our debt, just not true, simply not true. But it becomes a political button, a hot button debate on whether the U.S. Um, will do, will default on its debt or not. And that's how they're framing it. That's how the Democrats are framing it. Uh, some people, uh, my buddy Jim Agresti recently told me that he believes that that is going to happen, that they're going to frame it on the Republicans and say, these guys broke the economy and caused this default. Uh, I say, you've got Democrats in charge of the Senate. You've got Democrats in charge of the White House. And how on earth could you blame this on Republicans? But crazier things have happened. Anyway, don't move a muscle because I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the next couple of minutes of understanding how important it is to choose the right philosophy. Because back in 1967, Ronald Reagan gave a famous speech called Time for Choosing. And it was in that speech that he mentioned so many things. And what, what's fascinating to me is that the Time for Choosing speech is a speech that is, again, I'm going to say timeless, ageless, it's a classic. Um, but you would think that this speech were being given today instead of in, in 1964, in October, October 27th, by the way, of 1964, when he had become governor of Los Angeles. Listen to this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you and good evening. The sponsor has been identified, but unlike most television programs, the performer hasn't been provided with a script. As a matter of fact, I have been permitted to choose my own words and discuss my own ideas regarding the choice that we face in the next few weeks. 
I have spent most of my life as a Democrat. I recently have seen fit to follow another course. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. Now, one side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used, we've never had it so good. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. And yet our government continues to spend $17 million a day more than the government takes in. We haven't balanced our budget 28 out of the last 34 years. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. As for the peace that we would preserve, I wonder who among us would like to approach the wife or mother whose husband or son has died in South Vietnam and ask them if they think this is a peace that should be maintained indefinitely. Do they mean peace or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's own old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. That is President Ronald Reagan way ahead of his time. Again, that is October 27th, 1964, when he was governor of California. And uh, I can tell you that this is uh, remarkable because you would think that speech was given today, facing the same problems, problems that haven't gone away. Another quote from Reagan, he said, government isn't the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. 
So just sit on that for a second. An incredible speech by Reagan. We're going to continue our discussion, like I said, on the debt limit, on the end of Title 42, the massive onslaught of immigration that's coming across our borders. We've got an excellent show that I don't want you to miss with excellent guests and some excerpts from my radio show. Don't move a muscle. This is America. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, so it's the end of Title 42 on uh, Thursday night at midnight. Title 42 expired. That means that they were uh, stopping certain immigrants from coming in under a public health order. That's been removed, and now they're uh, and they were allowing others to come in a certain way. Now they're saying uh, it's going to be even worse. Uh, from what I've seen throughout the day on Friday was that there were thousands of people in the streets. It looked like a parade that did not end of people with knapsacks and children in tow just coming in. Uh, they'd made their way all the way to El Paso. So well past um, the southernmost tip into South Texas. And uh, it was just incredible. If you want to see some of that video, you could go to my Instagram story at Rich Valdez with an S and take a look at it. Uh, now, I just want to underscore that there is um, a lot that happens at the border. And uh, somebody I recently interviewed, Christy Hutcherson, she knows all about it. And I want to bring her into this conversation. Listen to this. We prepared for this moment for almost two years, and our plan will deliver results. It will take time for those results to be fully realized. And it is essential that we all take this into account. Our current situation is the outcome of Congress leaving a broken, outdated immigration system in place for over two decades, despite unanimous agreement that we desperately need legislative reform. It is also the result of Congress's decision not to provide us with the resources we need and that we requested. Our efforts within the constraints of our broken immigration system are focused on ensuring that the process is safe, orderly, and humane, all while protecting our dedicated workforce and our communities. Okay, that is uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas uh, yet again just crying, woe is me, when it's his job to fix this broken system. He's here explaining that it's broken and it's going to take time to see results as if he hasn't been there for three years. I think the entire thing is laughable and offensive and borderline criminal, in my opinion. Christy Hutcherson, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Let's talk about the messaging here, because uh, Mayorkas is telling us it's going to take time. It, it, he sounds weak and indecisive to me. The administration seems weak and indecisive and uh, or complicit and incompetent, if, if you want to have it, you know, on the other side of the coin. And ultimately, this sends a message internationally to people that are thinking of coming here. Uh, what do you think about their messaging and how does this affect uh, what many are saying is a humanitarian crisis? Well, thank, that's a great question. Uh, first, it's it's not weak. It's not incompetent. Uh, it is methodical, well-thought-out plan to open up our borders, keep them open for the last two-plus years, to destabilize our country, and it's purposeful. Uh, Biden himself and this administration is actively working with the Mexican government to uh, facilitate the illegals coming into this country. It is a masterful plan. 
Uh, so again, it's not incompetence. This is a purposeful plan. Title 42 is a very important, um, it was it was done for the pandemic under the COVID restrictions and it's so we can re- literally turn them around and, and expel them out of the country immediately. The problem that we're having at the border right now, this is what we've seen in the last two years is going to be nothing after uh, midnight tonight. We have 867,000. That is not my numbers. That's the United Nations number. 867,000 illegals who are waiting to rush the border at midnight in different sectors. So when they break down the sectors, they say, oh, we saw 10,000 people yesterday. Well, that's one sector. We have over 2,000 plus miles of a southern border. We have a northern border, but we also have a western and eastern border as well. Now, um, I I just want to remind the audience that you're one of a few Americans who's uh, and few guests that have been on this program that have traveled the entirety of the 2,000 miles of the southern border. Um, what's that been like in, in your in your hundreds of trips there? Daunting. Uh, you see uh, atrocities. You see humanitarian, um, the humanitarian uh, problem that this has caused. Uh, you see the rapes, the murder, the rape trees, uh, the slaughterhouses, the stash houses, uh, the, cr- the crime, the criminal activity that comes along with this. Uh, we've uncovered tunnels that um, are highly sophisticated tunnels. Tunnels are not new, but some of the new sophisticated tunnels that we've uncovered in the last four to six months have serious rep- uh, repercussions for this country. Uh, fortified wall ceilings, rail systems, fiber optics in these things. Uh, we had Joe Biden's administration having scientists looking at these tunnels. What are they looking for? They're looking for particles. Uh, they're looking for dirty bombs, possible nuclear devices. It's not a mistake that you're starting to see hospital systems and our own federal agencies doing drills for cash ma- ma- uh, casualty events. Wow. So <clears throat> this is um, it's, it's so bizarre to me because, you know, I, I, I firmly believe from what I've observed, you know, that. Joe Biden's kind of overseeing the the largest human smuggling operation in the world. He's doing it at taxpayer expense at the U.S. Mm-hmm. border. It's kind of like an underground railroad that contributes to the modern day slave trade. And it's happening right here in America. And and I think people hear me say that and they think, man, you're too hyperbolic. You're you're really over the top. But when I look at these images and I speak with people like you that talk about rape trees, I don't even know if the audience even knows what a rape tree is. Tell us a little bit about it. So rape trees are horrific. And when you've been up to these different sectors of the border, we call it the Mexican highway. The Mexican highway is uh, very tough terrain. It's it's part of the border that the the mules will bring up the women and children who already have uh, Uh, somebody who's already purchased them. And so they bring them up through these routes and they're staging grounds. It takes me and my team, it takes us sometimes an hour and a half to two hours to get to these areas. And there's trees that have ropes and shackles on them. And they bring the women and children there. They tie them down and they violently, violently gang rape them into submission uh, before the transport comes and picks them up within usually typically 12 to 24 hours and then takes them to whoever purchased them in the United States of America. We have film footage of this, and it is disgusting and vile. One little girl who was rescued um, and found had 22 different men semen in her little cavity. 
this is real. Mm-hmm. This is going on at the border. And we're not even talking, unfortunately, about the slaughterhouses where those are warehouses on the Mexican side of the border where some of these individuals are taken. And unfortunately, they're literally murdered for their hearts, their lungs, their livers, their organs, and then sold on the black market. Wow. Now, um, I've heard of this stuff, but uh, to the skeptics that are listening, saying, you know, lady, you know, you talk a good one. But how do you know about all this? What do you say? Go to my website and go look at the videos. I've gone live. I've shown this stuff. So if you don't want to believe it, that's up to you. But it is real. It's reality. Uh, We have film. We have footage. We have uh, been there. Me and my team have been there numerous times. We've extracted and rescued these individuals ourselves. We've been in the stash houses. We've been where there's remnants of sacrifices, where dead babies with decapitated heads. This is real. Uh, we, like I said, women fighting for America, follow us. I go live and I show these atrocities. Again, that's Christy Hutcherson, uh, full conversation or the full radio show. Go to Rich Valdez, America at night.com. If you want to check that out or subscribe to that podcast where you have, uh, all the interviews and these are way longer episodes, uh, than this shortened, this is America episode, uh, straight ahead. I want you to stay tuned because Chad Wolf, former secretary of Homeland security, he's going to break it down exactly what's going on. He's at the border and he called in with a report. Don't miss it. This is America. The 45th president, Donald Trump, thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. Mr. Call Yeah. Oh, it's an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with you, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And again, if you haven't checked out the website, Rich Valdez America at Night, make sure you go and check it out, richvaldezamericatnight.com. You can see all the guests. We do a three-hour live radio show every single day. I want you to make sure that you're checking that out because I know if you're tuned into this, you're subscribed to this podcast feed, which is a weekly podcast feed where we uh, do about an hour on the biggest topics of the week. But if you want to stay up to speed on everything happening every single night, make sure you tune into uh, America at night. Now, the uh, one of the federal judges um, in uh, with respect to the Title 42 has blocked the Biden administration from releasing illegal immigrants into the interior of the United States without a court date. Now, this was something that they had recommended, saying that uh, Alejandro Mayorkas said that we were going to be doing this, and uh, it's absolutely egregious in my opinion. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak with the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, to get his reaction to current Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and his crazy assertion that we would allow people to just go and and check in through an app and not have a court date and use the honor system and hope that, you know, somehow they'll make it back. And uh, that's wishful thinking uh, at its best and incredibly corrupt or stupid at its worst. But um, I want you to hear uh, some of my conversation with Secretary Chad Wolf. Chad Wolf, welcome to the program. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Good to be here. You bet. So I want to I want to start off with um uh, just to, we're on the same page with some comments from Alejandro Mayorkas. We have a short clip of him today at the Title 42 press conference. Seeing the effectiveness of our approach, more than 100,000 people from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela have arrived lawfully through the pathway we have made available to them. 
And we reduced border encounters from these groups by 90 percent between December of last year and March of this year. Our president has led the largest expansion of lawful pathways ever. At the same time, we are clear eyed about the challenges we are likely to face in the days and weeks ahead, which have the potential to be very difficult. Even after nearly two years of preparation, we expect to see large numbers of encounters at our southern border in the days and weeks after May 11th. We are already seeing high numbers of encounters in certain sectors. Now, Mr. Secretary, listening to your uh, <laughs> successor here, uh, wh- I-, I-, I can't believe he's saying these words, but I'm thinking maybe it's just something I don't know. What say you? Well, I think it's a, it's a big disinformation campaign that I think the department and the administration is trying to pull on the American people. If you just listen to a couple of things that he said, one, he's talking about four nationalities, Cubans, Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, uh, and I believe maybe Colombians, if I have that right. He talks about those numbers going down. Those are just four countries. We have over 130 different nationalities and countries showing up along that border. And while he's been able to reduce the numbers For those four countries, the number of individuals still crossing the border every single month goes up. So he's not having the effect that you actually need to deter the illegal behavior. He's just simply shifting it. He talks about those legal pathways. The legal pathway that he's talking about is parole. He is abusing the parole program and the parole authority like none other. I think you only have to go back and you look at Deferred Action, the DACA program, which was instituted under President Obama, but also instituted by Secretary Mayorkas when he was at DHS. They have abused the uh, Deferred Action Authority within the immigration law to achieve a certain end that they couldn't do otherwise. And today they're abusing the parole authority, and they've already had a couple of court cases ruling against them. So he talks about these legal pathways that he and the president have created. They've abused immigration law. And I think those legal pathways will come to an end because they're unlawful at the end of the day. So there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation kind of loaded in that statement. Um, But this is what they do. They throw out big terms and terms that the American people don't quite understand, nor should they. And they try to tell you nothing to see here. Everything's fine. Uh, There's going to be a little chaos at the border. You're exactly right. There's been chaos at the border for 27 months. So I'm glad that now they, they start to recognize it and actually acknowledge it. Um, but there is certainly more to come with the end of Title 42. Now, part of me, um, Secretary Wolf, I, I feel like part of me is they're doing this because they can't hide it anymore because it's there's the 700,000 people that are, are reportedly waiting down at the border for tomorrow. And I figure they, they now they have to kind of prime the pump and say, yeah, by the way, we're going to have a little chaos, but don't worry, it's going to be okay. And had it not been so bad uh, that they could kind of cover it or the media would provide the cover they needed, they would continue to misinform and and allow people in. Now, the, the latest thing that I'm hearing is that they're going to be using this app to allow people to kind of decide where they want to go and jump on a bus without stopping anywhere. Um, am I oversimplifying that? Well, they have rolled out what they call the CBP-1 app. Uh, and it allows individuals to, to get on the app, fill out some information, show up at a port of entry, and again, you get paroled into the country. Now, it's important. I'm spending a little time on the parole program because it's important because what they're telling the American people and everyone else is that these individuals don't qualify for asylum because once you're into the parole 
program, there is no avenue to then seek asylum. And the administration knows this, and yet they continue to to enroll people in this parole program because what what it's telling you is they know that they make false asylum claims. They know this. They have the same data that I have. It's actually on their um, – and they don't care. They, they're, not, they're not trying to fix the fraud. They're not trying to solve the problem. And I think you have this right, it is they want to process more people in, and they don't want to solve the problem. All right. And, and I just want to reiterate that there's also other policies – and I'd love your reaction on it, where they're saying that if the border crossers that come in illegally, whether it's for through asylum or whatever and what have you, uh, they, they end up here and they get processed and they, they go to these NGOs that help transport them through different parts of the country, that once they reach their capacity, that they're now going to allow them directly into the U.S., um, kind of with no NGO, with no, with no, uh, escort. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Well, yeah, that's exactly right. That happens. That's what happens when you overwhelm the system and, and that's what's occurring at the moment. There's too many people to process. And so the border patrol doesn't have the time. They don't have the facilities to do that. And so instead of filling out the paperwork, background, checking these individuals, fingerprinting them, giving them the proper paperwork, telling them when there's a, a, a date to show up at a very specific office somewhere in the country, they're simply saying, I don't have time to do any of that. I'm just going to release you onto the streets. I'm going to give you a notice to report, which is very different <clears throat> than what they normally do. A notice to report says, I'm not sure where you're going, but wherever you go, show up to the nearest ICE office whenever you can. <laughs> do <laughs> so me a favor, kind of like just a, show up, okay? <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> it's a joke. Um, and, and guess what? People aren't showing up, but that's really not a surprise. Again, uh, an excerpt from my interview with Secretary Chad Wolf. Always a pleasure to speak with him and get the scoop uh, again as he's on the ground on the eve of the exp- uh, expiration, excuse me, of Title 42. Now, straight ahead, I want to I want you to stick around because we're going to talk about uh, the debt limit. We're going to talk about the state of our economy in the United States. There's been a lot of talk from Janet Yellen and Jerome Powell and everybody else that's in charge of fiscal policy for the Biden administration, where they're saying everything is hunky dory. And I know if you're listening to this, you're still paying more for gas. You're still paying more for food. You're still paying more for just about everything and getting a lot less of everything. So we're going to talk to EJ Anthony. He is a uh, an economist uh, with the Heritage Foundation. He's a brilliant guy, and uh, he's coming up next. Don't move. This is America. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. Oh, he's so handsome. What's his name? Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So, you know, we're looking at uh, economic problems all across the fruited plain here. Everybody's paying more for everything. And yet the government says, well, we're going to have to um, borrow more money because we want to take on more debt. And just imagine if we did that in our our personal lives. And uh, I had a conversation with E.J. Anthony. He's an economist with the Heritage Foundation. And we had this discussion with respect to what is going on in Washington and why we should believe anything they're saying. Now, again, I want to reiterate that we definitely in the United States, our government collects $5.1 trillion in revenue, uh, at least as as far back as 2022 uh, we did, so last year. uh, And the interest on the debt that we owe is $775 billion. That's about 15% of those revenues. So the Treasury has enough money to pay the debt service. 
right? The interest on this debt has to, it can get paid and it must get paid and we're able to pay it without increasing the debt limit. So there's no need to add trillions more for other expenses other than spending recklessly and wanting to do that. It doesn't have to be done. The U.S. government is not going to default or uh, on its debt, and it's not going to cut Social Security payments. Even if there's a, a stalemate on the debt limit, that's not going to happen unless Joe Biden decides to say, you know what, we are not going to follow the law. We're not going to follow the Constitution. We're going to intentionally default on these things to try and hang it around the neck of the Republicans. Now, I hope that that's not the case. Uh, former President Trump recently mentioned in his uh, debate at CNN that uh, he thinks, hey, if there's going to be a fault, let's do it sooner rather than later. Now, I believe he's just um, playing chicken with them and getting, you know, calling them on their bluff saying, oh, well, we all know we have enough money to pay for it. So if you think we're going to default, go ahead, let's default. Go ahead, go for it. Show me your cards. And I think that's what Trump's doing. Uh, my 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 gut tells me I think the American people are smart enough to realize that even if there is a forced default by Biden, not because we don't have the money, but because he chooses not to pay it with the money that we have, that Americans will see through this ploy. Um, others, like my buddy Jim Agresti, he says that no, uh, they will nail this on the Republicans because they control the media and all of the talking points. And he may have a point there. But either way, I want to bring in uh, E.J. Anthony, he's an economist with the Heritage Foundation to help us make sense of everything that's going on. And the budget I proposed to, that we're going to propose back on March 9, I think it was the first couple weeks of March, that budget, if it were to be passed, would cut the deficit another three trillion dollars, three trillion dollars over the next 10 years. Unfortunately, our I won't say Republican because I think they're not they're pretty well divided, but our MAGA Republicans in Congress are threatening to do all this progress by letting us, quote, default on the debt unless we agree to their demands. The two are totally unrelated. Whether you pay the debt or not doesn't have a damn thing to do with what your budget is. E.J. Anthony, welcome back. Hey, Rich. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So let, let's talk about what you just heard President Biden say, because I feel like uh, there's a whole lot of this going on. And it happens every time they want to raise the debt ceiling, every time they want to spend more money and and have uh, carte blanche, if you will. Uh, th- this is the 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 go to. And and I just think it it's it's not accurate. And it's 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 kind of bullying. Well, do you remember that catastrophic default that we had on our nation's debt? During the 1990s, when uh, Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton couldn't agree on a budget and whether or not to raise the deficit, do you remember that? Oh, no, that's nope. right. You don't remember it. No one does because it didn't happen, right? Right. Uh, every, time, every time we have one of these cases where we bump up against the debt ceiling for a brief period of time, all that happens is another partial government shutdown. And most of the time, these things are never even noticed by the American people. Frankly, the only time it was noticed during the 90s is is because it, it spawned it helped spawn the uh, the Lewinsky scandal. Right. So I, I think that they um, they use this debt ceiling thing because I think for many people, it just makes a lot of sense. You know, if I tell a, a normal person and by normal, I mean, that's not a, um, you know, in the know type of per- person that is busy running their life and caring for their kids and trying to pay their bills. And you say, Hey, you can't default on your credit. They're like, no, of course not. I want to pay for my house. I want to pay my car off. I, I want to pay all my bills on time. So I think it goes against the conventional wisdom of honest, hardworking people in America. And so they use this rhetoric to their advantage. 
but it, it, it's 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 brilliant for them, I guess. But ultimately, I feel like it's a tremendous disservice to the country. Yes, it, it's been very frustrating, to say the least, to listen to people like Biden, like Janet Yellen, walk around and, and throw around the word default so casually. I mean, the United States has essentially zero risk of defaulting on its debt, it takes in, the treasury that is, takes in more than enough revenue to cover all of our uh, treasury bonds, bills, and notes. We also have plenty of revenue to pay for things like social security recipients, uh, Medicare recipients, uh, veterans benefits. So all of those things are covered. All Again, all that would happen uh, from bumping up against the, get, the debt ceiling would be a partial government shutdown. So we can still pay for all those essentials, just like the family in the scenario you're talking about. But maybe we have to cut back uh, on, on, frankly, some of the extras that we have that we don't need in this budget, whether it's the federal budget or the family budget. A hundred percent. And that's the point that I try to make. And I feel like it's uh, and maybe, uh, you know, I'm taking it too personally, but I just feel like it's over and over this nonstop loop of saying the same thing. And and I think people get scared and they're just like, no, well, do whatever Biden says, because we don't want to default. You know, that's the worst thing ever. And it's kind of what our parents raised us to think, you know, pay your bills, work hard. And it's uh, ultimately putting us, I think, in, in a position where we're falling right into the trap of saying, sure, spend more money, spend more money. We'll just keep raising the debt ceiling now. Um, I, I want to move from the debt ceiling, um, if there's nothing else that you want to add on that topic, uh, to um, what's going on with the banks. Because, you know, at first I was like, well, it's isolated, and we're seeing another one, now we see another one. So I think there's, you know, three big bank collapses that have occurred. And, um, you know, it, it starts to make the people that are screaming doom and gloom you know, since 1980, saying, you know, it's the collapse of the dollar, it's the collapse of the U.S. financial system. Uh, it, it seems to give them more credence. And while that could be something that happens down the road, uh, I don't know that we're there today. What's your take overall? Well, I, I know you said move away from the uh, the debt ceiling and to this issue of the banking crisis, but the two are related, namely because mm-hmm. excessive government spending got us into both of these messes. And it's only stopping the spending that's going to get us out, again, of, of both of these messes. Uh, in, in the case of the banks, uh, by spending trillions and trillions of dollars we didn't have and the Federal Reserve printing that money to pay for the massive deficits that ensued both under Trump and under Biden for the last three years, uh, we created systemic interest rate risk for the banking system. And so you now have many banks who are literally underwater on their balance sheet. In other words, if they actually have to sell off assets today in order to pay depositors, they will be in a situation where they are taking losses and will very quickly run out of cash and find that that their overall financial positions are negative. The fancy word for that is, wait for it, bankrupt. And by the way, this is not simply an issue uh, at, at a few banks. This is very widespread across the sector. And the Federal Reserve itself uh, has, has really been hit by this. And it's of their own making. Uh, but their balance sheet alone, for example, is about a trillion dollars in the red. It takes a special kind of incompetence, let me just say, to literally have a money printer and somehow still manage to lose a trillion dollars. 
All right. Always a pleasure to hear from EJ Anthony. And uh, listen, if you haven't subscribed to America at Night with Rich Valdez, Rich Valdez, AmericaAtNight.com is the website. Take a look. Tune in on your local radio station. We're on across the country. In some areas, we're on live and some we're on a delay. You can always listen live on the website, Rich Valdez, America at Night. I encourage you to listen to that. You can hear everything as it's happening. And again, if you don't have time for politics every day for a three hour show with phone calls and all that, no problem. Check out this program that you just finished listening to, America. Uh, this is America with Rich Valdez, and um, we will bring you everything as concise as we can in about an hour every single week. Thanks for tuning in. Hasta la próxima. Take care. God bless. And remember, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. So America needs you more now than she's ever needed you before. Now is your time to do something. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.